Today we're starting a new series, and I think this is probably going to be one of the most challenging series I've ever preached. And this is probably, if you let it, going to be one of the most challenging series you've ever listened to. And so I'm expecting us to have a lot of conversation, and I want you to try to hold on for all five weeks and to come back every single week to get a little bit more of the puzzle. But we live in an interesting time, and there are three factors that I think are kind of contributing to the times and the culture that we're living in. And the first one is this. The first one is that everything is politicized, all right? Everything is politicized. There's been a line that has been drawn in, a sa- in the sand, and it's like, choose. Who are you with? Are you pro this, or are you, are you pro this? Are you against this, or are you for this? Choose, and choose wisely. Because everything has been politicized, from masks to schools being open to issues on race and police. Every issue you can imagine has been politicized to the point where you have to take a side. And the first contributes to the second. The second problem is this, cancel culture. See, here's the thing. If you don't do what I want, if you misspeak, if you say something wrong, if you, mis- if, if you mess up, if you make a mistake, then we will forget you ever existed. We will discount everything that you ever did that may have been good, and we will just di- we will we will cancel you out. We will erase you. We will forget you. We will discredit everything you've ever done, and we will cancel you out. And then the third one is this: the third one is a version of Christianity that is in it to win it. I call it a version, but really it's a perversion of Christianity. And you've probably been aware of this version of Christianity. It's been around now for several decades. It's a version of Christianity that says the world is out to get us. They're after us. They don't want us. They they want us to fail. They are after us, and so we have to fight. We are in a fight for our faith. We are in a fight for our rights. And so the church and Christianity need to fight back. It usually sounds like this. We need to stand up for our faith. Sound familiar? We need to fight back. We are in a battle with the world. The government is after us. The world is against us. Everyone hates us. And so we are in a fight and we need to win. I remember as a kid, I'm familiar with this because I grew up with it. I grew up in the church. And I remember going to conferences as a teenager. And I remember going, hearing lessons, and I remember hearing people talk, and it was this idea that the world is against us, and we're losing, and so we have to stand up. We need to fight back as Christians. You can even see it today in our, in our, in our Christian entertainment, in our Christian media all the time. Now, I know this is going to offend some of you, okay? And probably the next five weeks kind of will, all right? So just buckle up. I really, really hate the movie. I hate the movie God's Not Dead. Have you ever seen the movie God's Not Dead? Some of you just went, oh, how dare you, right? I hate the movie God's Not Dead. And let me tell you why. 
okay? Look, this is just what the back of the DVD says, okay? And if you've never seen the movie God's Not Dead and you're a Christian, don't watch it, okay? If you're a non-Christian or if you think you're going to save your non-Christian friend by showing them this movie, don't do it, all right? Throw it in the garbage, light it on fire, and forget it ever existed, okay? See, I told you, I'm coming on real strong, all right? Because here's the thing, this is what the back of the DVD says, okay? Spoiler alert, all right, if you haven't seen it. Uh, a college student clashes with his atheistic professor who insists the students will only pass his class by admitting that God is dead. So this professor... He's, he's, you know, uh, he's, he's an atheist and he's, you know, has running this class and he's like, I want everybody to say that, that, you know, that God is dead. I don't think God exists. And he, he makes this case, okay? And this student, Josh, he's a Christian and he obviously doesn't believe that. And so he, he's, he, he says, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I believe that God is real. I'm not going to say it. And that's fine, okay? That's good. I'm good with the movie to that point. But then what happens is, is Josh stands up for his faith and enters into a battle royale with this professor. Professor, And here's the problem. He fights fire with fire. He fights in the same way that his professor fights with him. I have issue with that, number one. But then, this is where the movie really takes off. And again, if you think I'm crazy, just buckle up, okay? Because here's what happens if you've never seen the movie. So then what we ha see happen is, is Josh, Josh is, you know, Josh is, you know, he's just the little man. He's David facing Goliath and he's, he's just, he's holding on there. And then the atheist professor, his life just starts to fall apart. He loses his girlfriend and his girlfriend leaves him. And you're watching as a Christian, you're like, yeah, that's right, atheist. You lost your girl. That's right, bro. Don't mess with God or you'll lose your girlfriend. And so he starts losing his girlfriend. And he starts getting stressed out. And then he goes after his girl. His girl's on on her way. And everybody, all the Christians are on their way to a Newsboys concert. And he's on his way to get his girl back. And he gets hit by a car. He gets hit by a car and he dies in the middle of the road. And then in, in rain. I mean, it's as dramatic as I'll get. Atheists run after his girl. No, Car hits him. He dies with rain. Cut to concert. This is how we end the movie. We cut to a concert. Josh and the girl are there. Everybody's there. All the Christians are there. And Michael Tate looks at Josh and goes, Hey, Josh, we heard what you did to that atheist. Good job, man. Go into a celebratory song. God's not dead. He's surely alive. But we killed the atheist in the street in the rain. He lost his girl and now he sucks. Don't mess with God or we will get you. That is the moral of the movie. Don't show that to anyone who's not a Christian. What is that? This is literally a review that is on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes, there is literally a review that says, obviously, the theme of this movie is that don't mess with Christianity or you will get got. That's the theme. That's what somebody picked up on Rotten Tomatoes. It's terrible. But that is a version of Christianity that we love. Some of you guys, some of people have come up to me and go, man, have you seen this movie, Guys and I Dead? It's so good. Yeah, the atheist dies in the end, which is awesome. You know, it's like, it's like Thanos dying at the end of Avengers. It's so good, you know. I mean, do you not see how messed up that is? That, what kind of message does that send? But we love that. Why? Because that's what we think. That Christianity is under attack. And we need to fight back. We need to stand up for our faith. We need to get them. We are, we need to win this. 
And you know what's so interesting? Is that there's been such an outcry of this that people have caught on and said, oh, looky there. You know what? I'm going to step into the. I'll be your champion. I'll be your hero. Vote for me. Elect me. I'll be your knight in shining armor. I'll help you win this battle. Don't worry. I will protect you. As a matter of fact, in January of 2016 in Sioux City, Iowa, Donald Trump stood on his platform, and this is what he said. It's going to be on the screen. He said, Christianity will have power if you vote for me. If I'm there, you're going... Miss that. I misspelled something. You're going to have plenty of power. You don't need anybody else. Remember that. That's a direct quote. Christians, you need me. Christians, I will help you win. I will give you power. And many of us go, oh, yay. And I'm not saying it's wrong to vote for Donald Trump. Don't just delete that email right now before you send it, okay? I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're so desperate for Christianity to win that you put your faith in a person above God, you're playing the wrong game. If you put your faith in anyone because they've promised that Christianity will win, you're playing the wrong game. See, here's the thing. In the midst of all this stuff that's going on right now, Everybody keeps asking, what would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets we wore in the 90s? WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? And we all think Jesus would be on our side. We all think Jesus would be with me at the protest. Jesus would stand with the cops. Jesus would wear a mask. Jesus wouldn't wear a mask. Jesus would be in the school. Jesus would be a virtual learner. Jesus would be with me. Jesus would be a Republican. Jesus would be a Democrat. Jesus would be with me. But here's the honest smack dab in your face truth is that if Jesus were alive today, Jesus wouldn't choose a side. Jesus would not choose a side. I swear it's going to be on the screen in like two seconds. Jesus wouldn't choose anyway. Jesus wouldn't choose a side. The truth is, is that he would not take a side. Do you know how I know that? Do you know why I believe that? It's because when we look at his story in the gospels, he didn't take a side then. And everybody wanted him to take a side. As soon as Jesus showed up and he began to get a little bit of authority, he got started to get a little bit of a following. People started to trust him. Everybody wanted Jesus to be on their side. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to be on their side. The Sadducees wanted Jesus to be on their side. The Jews wanted Jesus on their side. Jesus, you came for us, right? Jesus, you're on our team. Jesus, you're on our side, right? And Jesus didn't take a side. You know why? Because there was an assumption with each of these sides that were being taken. And the assumption was this. The assumption was power and resources should be leveraged to benefit the powerful and the resourced. So they wanted Jesus on their side as a pawn, as a tool, as leverage. And Jesus looked at every single side and said, I'm not playing the same game as you are. What you're after is not the same thing I'm after. What you consider a win is not a win to me. See, I'm changing the game and I'm playing by rules that nobody else is playing with and I'm actually not in it to win it like you are. I'm after something completely different. And that's what we need to understand in the midst of this culture that we are living in. 
that most likely the, st- the side that you are standing on is not the side that Jesus would be standing on because Jesus wouldn't take a side. Jesus created his own side. And Paul, he summed it up best. But Paul, he had an advantage. So we don't see anything like this anywhere else because Paul had the advantage of being three years behind the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But when he looked back, he was able to put everything together and he was able to understand something about Jesus that was unique, that should make Christianity unique and should make us different than the rest of the world because it's what made Jesus different than every other group and every other side that was being taken. And this is what he says. Paul says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself absolutely nothing. Don't don't miss this, okay? Jesus had every right and every ability to come in and go, I'm the big dog and everybody's listening to me. Everybody look up here. Everybody listen to me. I'm the authority. I'm running this show and everybody's going to do what I want. Got it? I'm the Supreme Court. I'm the ruler. I'm the lawmaker. Everybody's going to listen to me or you're going to get got. Jesus had every right and had every ability to do that. But instead, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. Instead, he became nothing. He chose to be a loser. He chose to be a nobody. He chose to humble himself. And then Paul goes on and he says this, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a king, of a warrior, of a guard, no, of a servant, being made in human likeness. What do you mean he didn't come to be a knight in shining armor? You mean he didn't come to set the Jews free? He didn't come to build another kingdom? No, he became a servant. And what does a servant do? A servant wakes up every single day thinking of how they could better serve the people they are serving. And that is what Jesus did. He said, I am here to be a servant. And then Paul says this. Paul says, and being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself, even becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Imagine this for just a minute. Wrap your mind around this. You are God in human form. You have every ability. You have every right. You could do anything you ever wanted. And instead, you choose to put yourself in a bodily form that feels pain, that feels pain. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to feel pain pain. He chose to have hunger. He chose to have thirst. He chose to let his body fail him. He chose to age. He put himself in that position and became obedient to death, meaning he let people physically take him, physically harm him, and physically kill him. And Paul, he puts a real big explanation on this. He goes, and I'm not just talking about death. I'm talking death on a cross, meaning it was public, it was humiliating, it was painful, and it was long. He chose to let that happen to him. Why in the world would he do that? Why, when you have every right and every ability to make people do what they should do, 
to win, to be the authority, to be the big dog, why in the world would you choose to lose? And the reason is this, because losing is how you win people. Losing is how we win people. And Jesus knew that. And so he came not to win. And he came not to pick a side. Instead, he chose to play his own game with his own set of rules. And his goal was to lose in order to win what he was actually after. That's what Jesus did. Now, the apostles didn't get this. The apostles were very, very confused. But Paul did later on. This is what he built the church on. And Paul later on would go on to talk about the church body, sons and daughters of Christ. And he would go on and he would say, and you know what? We, the church, we make up the body of Christ now. Now that Jesus has rose again and ascended into heaven, now we are the body of Christ. And so what Paul was essentially saying is if this is what Jesus did, then this is what we should now be. And so if Jesus chose to be a loser, then we should choose to be losers as well. You know why? Because the church always looks best when we are fighting for other people rather than fighting for ourselves. You guys say amen whenever you want. The church always looks more Christ-like when it is giving away rather than demanding their way. Again, say amen whenever you want. The church always looks best when its intention is to do what is best for outsiders rather than the insiders. There we go. The church always looks best when it is willing to go after the one lost sheep, even if it means leaving the 99 behind. See, that is when the church looks best. That is when Christianity looks best. And so see, if we are today in 2020 the body of Christ, then we should play to lose because it's how we are going to win people who don't know Jesus. And that's what it's all about. It's not about having power. It's not about having control. It's not about feeling safe. It's not about worldly concerns. It's not about having elimination of fear. It's all about eternity, not the problems of this world. It's about people. And it's about seeing people have a relationship with Jesus. And as long as the church stands up for their faith and fights battles to win. And even if it means ruining everything and losing everybody else, if we fight just to, if we're in it to win it, then we are going to lose what we're actually after. And see, the disciples, they, they didn't have, they had a really, really hard time with this man. At one point, Jesus and his, his disciples, they're, they're traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem and they decide to go through the area of Samaria, right? And Jesus and all his disciples, they were Jews. Samaritans, there was a huge race war between these two groups. They hated each other. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. So they decided to go through Samaria, and Jesus sends them ahead and goes, hey, find us a place to stay. We need a place to sleep while we're traveling through Samaria. So the disciples go into Samaria, and nobody wants them there. They go, get out of here, you dirty Jew. So they say, get out of here, man. We don't want you here. We don't want you to stay here. And so they come back and report to Jesus. And this is what they say to Jesus. They look at Jesus... And they say to him, hey, Jesus, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? 
Hey, Jesus, these guys won't let us stay there. You want to smoke them? Let's do a drive-by, Jesus. Lightning attack. Ka, 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 ka. Let's kill some, some Samaritans tonight, right? They all had their leather jackets on and stuff. They're like, let's go, right? And do you know what Jesus does when they said this? Because listen, here's what they're basically saying. Hey, you want, you want to, let's, let's show them who's boss. You want to win this battle? Let's win. We could scare them. We could go after them. Let's do this. And this is, this is what happens. Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. This is the same Greek word. This is the same rebuked that when it says Jesus rebuked sin, that's how bad he rebuked them. That means he spanked them really hard. He said, you ding-dongs, knock it off. No, we're not smoking anybody tonight. No fireballs tonight. What are you doing? What are you talking about? We'll smoke them. Fire, calling fire from heaven. No, we're not going to do that. What are you talking about? He rebuked them. It's like, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing we're ever, we're ever going to think about. And then Jesus, he started to explain how his kingdom worked. And I want you to understand this. Because again, if you want to understand how the kingdom of God works, then this is where you fit into This is what he says to them next. And Luke, he said to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Remember, must, must, must. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And then he says to them next, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is so important. I do not want you to forget this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. Here's the thing you've got to understand. Jesus, when He was talking about who His disciples are, he said, whoever picks up for me and stands up for their faith and fights the good fight and goes after the, that, that party and who stands up for this, those are the people. No, he doesn't say that. He goes, hey, you know who's going to be on my side? The people that pick up their cross. What he was basically saying is the people who pack their bags and are ready to die. And not just die, die on a cross. Meaning dying publicly, dying humiliatingly, dying painfully, dying slowly. Those are my disciples. Those are my boys. The ones who choose to lose their life will actually save it. Those are my disciples. Those are my people. The people who choose to be the losers. And you know, it's so interesting. We're five weeks, you'll, you can't imagine how many places this pops up. How many times Jesus gives them this little speech. But still they didn't understand it. Still they didn't get it. They thought Jesus was there to give them their kingdom back, to go back to the good old days, to the David days, to the Solomon days, where we were running the show, where we were making the laws, where we were telling people how they had to live, when we were using laws to get people to do what we wanted. Remember how well that worked out? He says, this is what we got to do. Jesus goes, nah, that's not what we're doing. And so, you know, it's interesting. They would watch as Jesus continued to live. And they would watch as Jesus would come on that night before He he was taken to be crucified and He washed His disciples' feet. They had that last meal together at Passover 
And they sit down and Jesus takes out a bowl and he says, give me your dirty feet. And he begins to wash them. And Peter looks at him and goes, Jesus, this is not right. And he goes, you, you don't get it yet, do you? I'm trying to model something for you. This is right. I know it feels wrong and I know it's not what you would do. But this is right. So he washes their dirty feet. And even remember, not only does he wash his disciples' feet, he washes Judas's feet. The man who was going to betray him, the man who was going to end up being responsible for his murder, he washes Judas's feet. Then they go into the garden. And again, Jesus is sweating bullets. He's sweating blood. He's literally sitting over us, but still he's saying to God, God, not my will, but your way. I really do. This isn't going to be fun. This isn't going to be great. But again, not my will, your way. We're playing your game, God. And if this is how it has to be, then this is how it has to be. And then the soldiers come. And again, as they're trying to arrest Jesus, it's not right. It's not fair. It's unjustice to a T. Peter pulls his sword and cuts a guy's ear off. And what does Jesus do? He goes, thanks, boys. He breaks out and he runs. He goes, we made it. No. He goes, what are you doing? Put that sword down, ding dong. You're doing it again. Puts the guy's ear back on. He goes, would you guys stop here? Take me. Let's go. He goes peacefully. He goes through an unfair trial, and then he begins the crucifixion process, and he's tortured unfairly, unjustly. He's beaten. He's murdered. He's hung on a cross. And then his disciples watch as Jesus looks at all the people who are spitting on him, who are humiliating him, who are calling him names, people he could smoke in an instant. And he looks at them and he goes, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then his disciples watch as he's hung next to two criminals. He looks at the criminal on his right and he pardons the criminal of his sins. And he goes, one day you will be with me in heaven. They watch all of this take place. Finally, it clicks. Wait a minute. We're not here to win it. We're here to lose. Because losing is how we actually win. Here's the thing. For five weeks, we're going to talk about this. But here's the thing. Christians are losers. Because Jesus was a loser. And that is how he actually won. When we are in it to win it, Christianity has already lost. And Jesus never played that game. He never fought to win control. He never fought to win a throne. He never fought to win his, an election. His plan all along was to lose to win over people. And some of you are like, that's not good though. That's not enough. We can't lose. If we lose, we'll lose, and we'll lose our kids, and we'll lose this, and we'll lose that. Tell me this then. How in the world is it that Christianity, the first generation of Christianity, at the height of persecution, how is it that that group, when they chose to lose, it was them, not the Republicans, not the Democrats, who reshaped Western civilization for the remainder of time? You want to tell me that that's a losing strategy? Then tell me how we are where we are today. Because it wasn't a political party, and it wasn't a group of people. It was. It wasn't a. It wasn't a organized. It wasn't organized in any way. It was just a group of people that, when they were attacked, 
They chose to lose, and by losing, they really won. And now today, we're still talking about Jesus to this day. And still today, there are so many billions of followers who who have put their faith in him. Why? Because he won? Because he showed how mighty he was? Because he was a winner? No. In fact, he was a loser. And we as the church have to take note of this and have to understand that when we go after winning and when we think of what is winning, then we just become another self-serving organization with a lost cause. What makes us unique is how we are like Jesus and how we choose to love. And we choose to love by losing and that is how we win what we are after to win. People, lives, eternity, relationship with Jesus. So I want to warn you, you may be fighting the wrong fight right now. In the midst of everything going on, you may be playing the wrong game. Because the Savior that you claim to follow told you to follow Him with a cross. And even He became a loser. Even He became obedient to death. So, to be clear, and I want to be really crystal clear about this, vote and exercise your right as it is guaranteed to you by the Constitution of the United States. You have rights that are given to you by the Constitution of the United States. Exercise those rights. I'm not telling you not to do that, and I'm not telling you who to vote for, okay? And I'm not telling you who I'm going to vote for. But exercise your rights however you see fit. But here's the thing. When it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being a light in this world, your role is to lose. It's not to win. So here's the thing. You see my loser t-shirt that I'm going to wear over these next five weeks. Thanks everybody who saw it and called me a loser. You're great. But you also got these bracelets when you walked in. And I want you to wear this at least for the next five weeks. Let's just make each other a promise. You're going to wear this bracelet. And it says on there, I am a loser. With a verse that we're going to talk about later on. I am a loser. And here's what I want this to remind you of. And it's already reminded me as I've worn it this week. When you get cut off in traffic... And that guy cuts you off and speeds by and you have that moment where your windows come to a sink and you want to go, hi, I want you to look at this bracelet and remind yourself that you are a loser. When you're on your phone and you see that that post and you see that person talk about mask or not wearing mask or you see somebody share their agenda or you see somebody talk about guns or you see somebody talk about Black Lives Matter or you see somebody talk about cops you see, and you want to share your opinion and you go to type, I want you to look at this bracelet before you start typing. And I want you to remember, you're not on anybody's side but Jesus's. And you're a loser. You're not in it to win it. And by the way, you're not going to win it on Facebook. I want you this week, when you go into your work, kids, when you go into school, when you go and you go to grab that door and you start to enter your workplace, I want you to see that bracelet. And I want you to remember that when you walk into work, you represent Christ now. And you're not there to win. You're there to lose. Because you're a loser. I want you to remember that when you're at home 
and you're fighting with your spouse or you're fighting with your family and it's not fair and things aren't the way they should be and you want things to be different, I want you to remember as you're going along and you're picking things up or you're doing whatever you need to do, I want you to remember before you shake your fist, I'm a loser. You're a loser. And it's only by losing your life that you are going to be able to win. You're not going to win anything on this earth. You're not going to win any prizes. You're not going to win your way. What you're going to do, though, is you're going to win people. You're going to win people, and you're going to represent Christ well. And then Christ is going to step in and do what He does best. So, I want you to remember that. You are here to be a servant. So wake up every day and ask yourself, how can I better serve? How can I serve my community? How can I serve my family? How can I serve my friends? How can I serve my church? How can I serve my enemy? And when you figure that out, you will be more like Jesus than you could ever imagine. Let me pray for you this morning. God, as we begin this conversation with you, Lord, I pray that right now you would just kind of touch our hearts. That God, you would, you would remind us of who it is you are. That God, you came in human form to be a loser, not a winner. You came to lose. You humbled yourself. You became obedient to death. You, you put yourself on a cross for us. Because you loved us. And it was your willingness to lose that set us up to win. It's why we're here today. It's why we're able to gather here today. It's why we have the life that we have, the freedom we have. It's why we're able to be the, the blessing that we are. God, would you today remind us that if we are to claim to be your body, that we, we're losers too. That we are here to be a servant to better serve. And that God, by serving, is how we can win. We can win what matters. We can win people. God, would our church and the churches that, that are around us, would they not be a self-serving church? Would it not be a bunch of insiders taking care of inside things? Would we not demand things for ourselves? But God, would we step up for those who are forgotten, those who have been lost, those who have been hurt, those who have been abandoned? Would we, would we step up and would we step in to the messes that people are going through? Would we step up and step in and not stand up for our faith, but stand up for people, for lost people, for sinners, for those who are hungry, for those that are broken? God, would you help us to step into that? And would you help us to play the same game that your son Jesus Christ played? Would you help us to go after what your son Jesus Christ was after? Because God, if we do that, in the same way that your first generation of Christians reshaped Western civilization, the same way that they reshaped the world, the same way that they shut down the Colosseums, in the same way that they transformed Rome. God, I, I believe we can do that today, but that wasn't through a fight, that wasn't through a war, and it wasn't through politicians. It was through love, and it was through humility. So would you help us to be those same followers of Christ today, Lord? God, I'm a loser. 
Losing is how I win. So help me to exemplify that. In your name we pray. Amen.